So the Path Book is a book that helps you identify your mission statement, your purpose here on the earth. It's an awesome book. Um, And so we started the year doing that, and then we moved into talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our Naturally Supernatural um, series, and then we just finished up a couple weeks on the fivefold ministry. So it's been four months plus, four and a half months of talking about you and how God made you and how awesome you are. And now we're going to start talking about what you get to do for other people. Isn't that awesome? Because I know for me, if I focus on myself too long, it starts to get weird. Right. Um, I love the Dead Sea. I've, I've been there. It's a, I didn't I only touched my toes in it. I didn't really want to do the whole, you know, body. Did you do the body immersion? Sharon did the body immersion. It was really cold the day we were there. So I was struggling to force myself into this. But the Dead Sea, if you're not familiar in Israel, is a body of water that there's several streams that go into it, but it has nowhere to go. And because there's nowhere for it to go, the salt content is just off the charts in this place. And everything is dead. Nothing can stay alive in there because there's so much salt. Actually, there's like salt pillars around the coast of it that that like evaporated and formed pillars, which is kind of weird when you read uh, in Genesis when Sodom and Gomorrah was turned to, you know, was killed and and Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. And you're staring at this thing and you're like, hmm, that is like that. It's kind of a weird thing. But, uh, but the Dead Sea has nowhere to go, nothing to give its life to, and so therefore it's dead. And there's this principle of life where when we don't give away what we're receiving, we begin to die. Not a physical death necessarily, but a, a spiritual death. We begin to get too consumed with ourselves, too comfortable, and well, this is what I like. Let, let's take it into the giftings realm that we've been talking about the last few weeks. We can start to say, well, I'm not like that. Well, God doesn't use me like that. And then we build little walls, even if they're small, against what God is wanting to do. So there's something so amazing about knowing yourself, but also in learning to steward and give away what you've received so that you can begin to know yourself even more. Does that make sense? Last week, if you missed last week's message, I highly recommend you get it on the podcast. You can get that on potbean.com or on iTunes. We usually link them on our Facebook page. We didn't link this last week, but you can go on the Facebook page and find the link to our um, podcast and Grant preached an incredible message about stewarding what God has given you. Anybody thought about that all week? I know I did. It's really compelling concept of what God has put inside of you and what He's what He wants to do with that. And so that's a little bit about why we're jumping into the Book of Acts. So, like I said, January I started looking at this year and okay, God, what are you saying? And we felt like the Lord was saying to do several of those series we just did. And then I kept having this thought that we'd get around to the book of Acts and I wasn't really sure. But for those of you guys that haven't been with us since November, in November, the Lord, I had a very dramatic encounter with the Lord where he gave me a prophetic word for our church about moving into a season of cultivating fire in our hearts. You guys remember that? It's on the podcast if you want to hear more about that. And I really felt like the Lord was saying over the, from November-ish, December, from that point forward, the next 9 to 12 months, we're going to be all about learning to build fire of passion in our hearts. That's what this is all about. So everything that we're doing as a corporate body is all towards this one theme of, Lord, set me on fire so I can burn for you. God, do something in me. Now, we've done all the gifting stuff because I don't want anybody to ever feel like, well, I'm not like that. And, and so I, I'm not really a passionate person. Right? The way that God is going to bring passion and fire in your heart is going to look unique to you. It doesn't need to look like anybody else that you see that we would go, oh, wow, they're really on fire for God. Right? But you're going to know. You're going to feel in your heart when you start to have a passion for Jesus that you didn't have before. I think it's amazing to watch in the last five months since that 
that prophetic word, just the way that the Lord has taken us in worship, the way he's taken us in our in lots of your personal time with the Lord. It's like there he is building fire inside of us. Isn't that awesome? And so I feel like this series in Acts is really just goes along right with that. Um, today, what I want to do is, is I want to give a little bit of an overview of what this series is going to look like. I don't know how long we're going to be in the book of Acts. There are 28 chapters. There are only five Sundays between now and the end of May, and we're probably going to be done with this series by the end of May. That's kind of our guess. If the Lord says otherwise, of course we'll do otherwise. But I want to invite you to be reading the book of Acts along with us. So you can read one chapter a day, and even if you miss a few days, you'll still be on pace for the end of May, right? Because there's, there's only 28 chapters. So we're, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to pull out a couple different stories that we feel like pertain to what God is doing in our midst. And that's how we're going to treat this. It's not a verse-by-verse kind of study. Um, but okay, so I want to challenge you guys. Read the book of Acts. I'm going to read our portion um, today out of the Passion Translation, which if you don't have yet, you're really missing out. It's so great. It's not a completely translated version of the Bible yet. That's coming, I think, in two years. Does that sound right to you? Um, in the whole tra- the, but most of the New Testament is already translated into this. Okay, a quick overview of what the book of Acts is before we jump into what is for us today. The book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Luke, who was a disciple of Jesus and also wrote the book of Luke. So that's helpful, right? You can remember that. Um, And Luke wrote the book of Acts almost like the continuation of his book, Luke. And it really picks up exactly where Luke leaves off. Um, Some scholars say that there's a speculation about whether Luke wrote the book of Acts in one setting or if he wrote it along the way. Because Luke was one of Paul's journeymen. They journeyed together. Luke was also a doctor. I heard somebody say recently, I thought this made me laugh, that um, Paul needed a doctor with him because he got himself into a lot of physical harm, right? I thought that's a really interesting perspective. And and God appointed Luke as one of Paul's journeymen. And Paul was, I mean, excuse me, and Luke was a physician. And so it was a good, a great teaming. Um, Okay, so Luke, so like I was saying, there's some speculation of whether he wrote it all in one swoop or whether he wrote it little by little as he was journeying with Paul, it really doesn't matter. What matters to you is that there was a whole lot of stuff happening at this point in time in history, and this is just the highlights, okay? So if you are like um, looking at the book of Acts and saying this is the only thing that the church can do, then we're, we're probably missing it. Even Jesus' ministry, there were loads of miracles that happened that were never recorded, Right. And so I love that because it, it makes the options to us completely limitless. Like, God, what do you want to do? You literally can do anything. And then we'll just get to pick the highlights of what he's doing. But that doesn't mean he wasn't doing other stuff. Um, some people call Acts Acts of the Apostles. But I personally look at it and I think it's really Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just about one or two apostles. Really what this book is about is showing you how Jesus began to establish his church and and continued fulfilling his ministry here on the earth. So he did a little bit of that in chapter one. We're going to look at in his like as Jesus, what we would see him, what the disciples were familiar with him looking like. And then the rest of it was through the Holy Spirit and Jesus together furthering God's mission on the earth. So I love the book of Acts. Um, One last sort of house cleaning big picture thing. I think when we read the Bible, one thing that's really helpful is when we ask ourselves certain questions, right? We discipline ourselves to remember, okay, what am I I reading, and then what does this mean for me? And so different books that I read at different seasons, the Lord will say, here's some questions I want you to be asking as you read this. And I felt like he gave us as a church two questions to be asking. So if you already know in your heart, I'm going to read along with us. We're going to be reading through the book of Acts. I want you to take a note of these two questions, and I want you to be asking these for yourself 
um, as you're reading, because I think there's a lot of life that's going to happen. And then the things that we're pulling out, these stories that we're pulling out over the next few weeks, these are the two questions we're framing these stories around. So number one, what's happening in the story? Earth shattering. I know. Most of you are asking that question subconsciously when you read things. So number one, what's happening? In other words, I'm reading this. What's standing out to me? Number two, what does this mean for me? Sometimes, especially with the book of Acts, we read these crazy miracles and there's almost this instant separation of, well, that could never be me because how could I do any of those things? But there's an implication for you and for all of us as a body with each of these stories that we're going to highlight. And so that's the number one question. What's happening? Number two, what does this mean for me? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So today we're looking at Acts 1 verse uh, 8. No, sorry. 7. Nope. 6. There we go. Acts 1, 6 through 11. Now we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. So that's not what we're going to talk about. But if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts 1, verse 6, and I'm going to read it for you out of the Passion Translation. Here we go. Every time they were gathered together, so pause. I won't pause on every moment, but this one's important. Jesus, in the context of what's happening here, Jesus had been resurrected, and he was appearing to the disciples at random places over that 40-day time frame. Okay, if you've studied this at all, you might be familiar with that. The disciples are in, the, in a room. It's locked. Jesus shows up in the room. The disciples are in a room again. It's locked. He shows up and he lets Thomas touch his scars. They're going down to the Sea of Galilee to fish. And Jesus shows up there and gives fishing instructions. They're coming off the boat. Jesus shows up on the shore. He's making breakfast, right? So there's this very strange, like they're living their lives in, in response to what Jesus is telling them to do. And then he's just showing up at random times, okay? So if you're the disciples... And this is your, like, you know, your best friend you've lived your last three years with. And then he just keeps popping up at random times. There's things you're going to want to know because how do you know when, when is the last time, right? And so this story right here is the last time that Jesus just popped up to them in their midst. So it says here, every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it now time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So the Messiah complex at that time, but there were about the 70 years before Jesus and a little bit about the 70 years after, there was a lot of people who thought they were the Messiah. Some of you guys might be familiar with some of those from a historical perspective. They would preach like they were the Messiah. They would talk like they were the Messiah and then they would die. And then that would be the end, right? That would be the end of their ministry. And so Jesus would preach that he was the Messiah. He would do that and then he died, but it wasn't the end of his ministry. Why? Because he was the Messiah. Right. He was the actual one. And so what he he had been talking about and the theme of this Messiah, what they were looking for from the prophets of the Old Testament and what the Jews were like, where they were, where their focus was, was that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to restore all that's broken around us. He's going to overthrow the government. That was their mentality. Right. We see Peter in the garden when Jesus is arrested and he cuts the guy's ear off because he's still thinking this is a militant thing. This is a, a militant, you know overthrow. Jesus was never looking at it as a militant overthrow, at least in the natural perspective. So they're coming together and keep asking him and they keep asking him, is now the time you're going to do that militant thing, right? Is now the time that you're going to overthrow everything that we see and now we get to live in paradise with you. And I love this story because that's probably what I would do, right? If I'm waiting for that moment. Have you ever had a day or a week or maybe a, a season where life is just kind of crummy and all you can think about is, let's just get it over with, Lord. Heaven's going to be way better than this, right? Let's just, just come on back right now. And that's kind of what they're saying. This is just really hard. 
we're walking around, you're just appearing everywhere, we don't know what you're doing, and would you just, let's just have it be now. And so they're looking at Jesus, and Jesus responds in verse 70. He answers them, he said, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and their times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority. I was just going to say a side note. We want God, the Father, to be the one who holds those dates, right? There is no one on the face of the earth that can comprehend what he is comprehending to decide when the end should come. It should bring you great comfort that God himself is holding that in all of his wisdom, in all of his mercy, in all of his joy, in all of his love, that he's holding that fixed day. So then Jesus goes on. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But Jesus goes on to say, But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places of the earth. Right after he spoke these words, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappear into a cloud. As they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside them. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up at the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way you saw him ascend. So I want to go back to this thing about the disciples are saying, Jesus, is this the end? What's happening in their posture and their viewpoint? They're looking at the end times. Right? They're looking at the end. And Jesus is saying, actually, you're not supposed to be looking at the end. You're supposed to be looking at the now. Don't focus on the end times. Focus on right now where the Holy Spirit's going to come. Here's my promise. You're going to be filled, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to be my witnesses, and all this amazing stuff is going to happen. There's something in our Christian culture that keeps wanting to look at this sort of awful time when the rapture, whatever you believe about your eschatology, you know, if it's tribulation, pre-rapture, post-rapture, blah, 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 all of those things. And Jesus's word to you is, it's not for you to know that. Don't focus on the end, focus on the now. This is really powerful because a lot of us get so distracted by focusing on the end, right? Well, where are we? How, well, wars and rumors of wars and is this that and is that that? And, and if that's that, then I got to bunker down and I got to hoard all this stuff and I got to, you know, build my Noah's Ark and, I, and my, you know, what do you call it? The... The zombie apocalypse bunker rooms where they, you know, they have those kits, ready kits, all that crazy stuff, right? And Jesus is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not for you. That's for God. And I felt like the Lord was highlighting this because, you know, we've never talked about this here before at this church. And I don't know where you're at and what you think about that. And you have permission to interpret these scriptures how you want to interpret them before God. But let me tell you how I look at it. Isaiah 60, he's prophesying the end. And he's saying, a darkness covered the earth, a thick darkness the people. And he's saying, you're going to arise, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He says that you're going to arise and you're going to shine and because your light has come. Then in your rising and in your shining, the peoples of the earth are going to be drawn to you. And there's so many just scripture after scripture there of promises. That's just one of the end times promises, right? So what do we focus on? The darkness is going to cover the earth and the thick darkness of the people. And then we completely lose sight of the fact that in the midst of that, we are going to rise like a light and everybody's going to be drawn to our light. That sounds like a good thing to me. I don't know about you, right? And so instead of focusing on, well, what is the darkness? And look at how horrible our society is right now. And, and this and that. And well, this is just the end. And all of that starts making us focus on ourselves, backing up from what God is wanting to do in and through you, right? And Jesus' answer is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Put that in God's hands, which is where you want it to be, and you focus on what I am doing today. 
I heard somebody say recently that, you know, people are worried that the world is gonna fall apart and there's not gonna be any food and what's gonna happen at that point, just all this fear. I mean, people are making millions of dollars selling you fear about what's gonna happen at the end times. Don't buy into that, okay? But here's what God says. When the Israelites have no food in the wilderness, what did he do? He made food out of manna from heaven. So there's not gonna be a time where we are not provided for by God. But when we start to focus on the negative or the end time or the tribulation or all of that kind of stuff, we lose focus on who God really is, which is what Jesus is saying here. Focus on who he really is, right? He's actually a really good provider. So if that happens for whatever reason, and we're still here on the earth, that'll be pretty cool because we'll have food raining from somewhere, right? In some form or fashion, I doubt it'll be manna because God likes to reinvent things, make things fresh. But whatever it is, like pancakes that have all the vitamins you need, I don't know. And so we're going to be like, this is the coolest time. And everybody else is going, look at this thick darkness covering the people. And those that are focused on God will go, are you kidding me? This darkness is the avenue of the greatest miracles the world has ever seen. This is amazing. Because it's supposed to get better and better if we're focusing on Jesus. What we look for is what we usually see. Right? If we're looking for negativity in someone, guess what? You're going to find it. If you're looking for something positive in them, you're going to find that too. Not that you're not going to see the other side, right? But if we're so focused on the darkness and the end times and the, and the rumors of wars and this is that and what's happening in Israel and all of that, and some of those things are true, but they're going to play out anyway, right? The way that we're going to get to the end moment, God is taking care of that. It's all going to play out as we need to. I don't, for me personally, I don't feel like I need to understand every step of the way. And honestly, I've kind of chosen the blissful ignorance in some of that. Like, Lord, I'm going to pray for what you tell me to pray for, but I'm not going to buy into all of this because I'm going to trust you that you're going to tell me what to do. All right. That's not really about today, but I felt like I needed to share that. Okay. So Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit's going to come and be filled with power. And you will be my, wit my messengers or my witnesses to Jerusalem, through Judea, the distant provinces, to the ends of the earth. So here's what's happening. This is the end of Jesus' flesh ministry on earth, right? This is where he's going to be taken up and the Holy Spirit's going to come. That trans it's like a transition of power, even though it's not light. I mean, that's a weird way to say it. But Jesus is leaving and the disciples, I think they had this sense that he was leaving and maybe they had a sense it was like for good this time. You know, just, their, their discernment radar was going off. And Jesus gives them this promise, you're going to be my witnesses, but not because of who you are. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you and he's going to give you power to do these things. I know for me, I've been in the church a really long time. And sometimes I forget that little thing. I get so focused on God wants to do amazing things. That you're going to change the world. Those type of themes that are out there. And they're all true. But I can lose sight of the fact that that's going to happen after the Holy Spirit comes on you and gives you power. Let me put it this way. That in and of yourself, you don't have the ability to do those things. The acts of the apostles here, the Holy Spirit was moving through in these 28 chapters, and really the whole Bible, but in these 28 chapters, these amazing things were not things they could do on their own. When they were sent out by Jesus in that season of Jesus' ministry, they were sent out with his spirit to do those things. And then here, they're empowered with the Holy Spirit to do those things. And so here's what I felt like the Lord was saying for us, right? We're asking what's happening. What does this mean for us? In our weakness, he is strong. Right? Let me put it this way. His strength is perfected in our weakness. Nobody likes to be weak. Like, no one. It's not a good feeling when you're face-to-face -face with your shortcomings. I've had a week the last two weeks where I've just been really aware of my limitations. 
right? Not like in a, like sometimes we can do that and it's like a self-pity party kind of thing and it's bad and, and it's not like that, thankfully, but it's more of just like, wow, I, in my own strength, this is all I have, Lord. I've got, I've counted it up. It's like, you know, the little kid had five loaves and two fish and I'm looking at it sometimes going, I've got like half a fish and a cracker and, you know, I'm like, what can you do with this, Lord? Here's my time frame. Here's where I'm narrow in my season as a mother, as a person, as a job, whatever is going on. And the Lord has begun to just really wreck me on this concept of what it means to offer ourselves up to the Lord, to let him make us into his witnesses. Because we all have these limitations that are not going to go away. Some of them are seasonal and they will go away. You'll retire from that job, that thing won't go on, right? Some of those are seasonal, but in general, there's something inside of me. Some of, some of us, we just have these things that hold us back. So let me, let me tell it to you like this. I was talking to my brother on the phone the other day and we were having a conversation about some different things and he's one of my best friends and he's just a really, like my sounding board on a lot of stuff. And we were talking about church and life and just what God was doing in my life. And, I, and he said, isn't it interesting that God would wait to call you into what you're doing right now until after you had your fourth kid. And I thought, that is so true. Because <laughs> one of the things that I look at in my life and I go, man, Lord, there's some things that I wish you would have called me to do and even projects I'm working on that haven't come out yet that I wish you would have called me to do that before I became a mom when I had all this time, right? Or when I was a mom of three kids and my youngest was four and my life was pretty, you know, much more easier than it is today. And the Lord goes, no, I'm gonna wait until you're limited. <clears throat> And then I'm going to ask you to do something. And then no one will be able to deny that it's really me. Right? And there's this thing in us that we look at our weaknesses, our limitations, our frustrations. And they're not, I mean, like, you know, motherhood is not a weakness. But you know what I'm saying. There's all these different things. We look at that and we go, ah, I will wait until that's resolved. And then I'll let you make me your witness. And the Lord's like, no, you're going to do it when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And in the midst of whatever you think is a disqualifier, I'm going to get glory in that place. It's a sobering thought. It's an annoying reality. Let's just be real, right? Because we still have this perspective when we look at people that are doing the things we want to do. Like we spent the last two weeks saying, okay, who's your hero? Okay, why? See what God's doing in their life. And that's good. But sometimes because we don't actually know them, we don't know what limitation God is moving through in them. We're kidding ourselves if we think that people who are doing what we want to do in life or where we're trying to go don't go to bed at night feeling like they wish there was something different about themselves. Right? It's just, it is, we all have it. None of us are perfect. And so there's this element where we say, okay, Lord, we have to answer for our own heart. Yes, I know you are Lord Jesus. I know you are the Savior, the Son of God. But am I willing to let you come in the midst of whatever I feel is holding me back? my age, my marital status, my job, my whatever you could pick, my financial you know, statement, whatever. We pick all these things and we say, well, this is a reason why you can't do that. And, and, and it's like we have to ask ourselves this question, Lord, am I willing to let the Holy Spirit come in the midst of these weaknesses, even though you're not going to change them? Even though I'm not saying come into my weakness and then fix it for me. Right? But come into my weakness and despite all that, make me into your witness. Teach me how to do that. And so in the last two weeks, for me personally, as I've been just kind of coming face to face with, you know, some of my limitations and narrow season and some of that kinds of stuff. And it's been an amazing place to go, Lord, in the midst of all this, 
you have permission to come and do what you want to do. And as he does that through my life, sometimes it feels really overwhelming, and I'm just being totally honest. Like, I wish I could say, it's the best thing ever, but those weaknesses and those limitations are always right there, right? And so we focus on God. We don't focus on the negative. And we say, Lord, you're going to work this out in me. You're going to teach me. If it's, like, if it's a sin issue, you're going to get in this with me, and you're going to help me overcome if it's just a circumstance, Lord, you're going to get in this with me and there's going to be so much grace. And even if the circumstance doesn't change, I will be able to see you moving through it. Are you guys tracking with me? So what does it mean to be his witnesses? It's essentially just saying, I'm available, Holy Spirit. You could come in my life and through my life. And I want you to do that, right? That's what Jesus, at the end of this all, he's telling them. Stay in Jerusalem until this happens. There were some people that were with Jesus that chose not to stay in Jerusalem, and they missed out on that moment. You know, and that's 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 what free will gives you—the opportunity to do that, that you, you know, the option for that. But there's others that said, "I don't know what's going to happen," and I, you know, and I'm an unschooled fisherman. I'm a whatever their limitation was. I've got a family back in Capernaum. I got to figure out how to send money to. I don't know what you know. They had reasons. They had problems. They had disqualifiers. But I'm going to let you do your thing, God. And then this 28 chapters of this amazing story plays out in the midst of these people's difficulties, disqualifiers, weaknesses, circumstances. It's awesome. So what does it mean to be his witness? So I want to say, too, that what does witnessing look like? Um, (laughs) What's funny to me, you guys probably know me well enough to know that I'm not an evangelist. That's really not my thing. I like to talk to people, but like cold turkey evangelism is really difficult for me to just walk up to somebody and be like, hey, if you die tonight, do you know if you go to heaven? Like that's everything inside of me is like, no, 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 no. Right. Social red flags and all of those things. And there's moments where if God says to do that, you do that. But I think there was a part of my journey where I would look at that and say, well, that's what it means to be a witness. And so then I, I don't know how to be a witness, Lord, because I'm not going to do that. Right. Unless it was like an angel showed up in the middle of Starbucks and it was just so abundantly clear. But that's not faith. Let's just be honest, you know. And so I think there's this place and I want to say this because I know I'm not the only one in the room that feels this way. Okay, I would say maybe 90 percent of us feel this way and the other 10 percent feel this way sometimes. Um, That what does it mean to be his witness? And I love this concept of his witness, his messenger, essentially is telling the truth about what was seen. Okay, it's telling a testimony, which we can all do. Right. But it, it takes us becoming aware of what's happening in the moment. Again, not looking at the end, looking at the now. It takes us being aware of what's happening in the moment to even have the like the presence of mind to share something. Some of you guys are people who, when you're out and about in a grocery store, people come up to you and they just start telling you their whole life story. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, we like, we don't even know each other. Why are you telling me this? That's a moment that God's unfolding for you to just plant a seed of hope. What Jesus is saying here is you're going to be my witnesses, not you're going to be a witness and then build a ministry all for yourself. Here's what I think has gotten off course a little bit in the body of Christ is that when we think about witnessing, we think about gathering people to the church and that's good and right. But that almost like we have to explain the entire mysteries of this entire book to them in that two minute encounter. Right. And we get so I don't know how to do that. And so we just don't. But evangelism or witnessing, whatever you want to call it, in this case, we're going to call it witnessing. It's not that it's planting a seed of hope, of truth, of love unto Jesus. 
right? So it doesn't matter if you ever talk to that person again. It doesn't matter if they ever come to our church. It matters that you planted, you did your part to plant a seed in their heart. Grant talked last week about thought, right? The power of thought, which is so interesting. Like you, like, okay, we talk about this in the Christian context of the word of our testimony. We overcome by that. So I'm in, I have a lot of conversations with people throughout the week. And I've been noticing how in certain conversations, if I will say something that's just a thought to me, and this isn't even like, this is a word for you. This isn't a dramatic thing. This is just chit chat. Okay. If I will say something, here's, here's what I've noticed God doing in my life. It begins to open places in their mind that weren't open before. Because why? Because now something is possible that I didn't think was possible. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a dear friend, and they've been in a really difficult season the last few years, doing, doing okay, but just in a wilderness season, which we all go through at times. And we were talking about you know, how God handles that, and I made a comment about something that, to be honest, is very second nature to me. It's something I learned a long time ago. I live out pretty pretty well like I forget that a lot of people don't live that out okay and I say this because there's a lot of things you guys are experiencing in your life peace joy hope trust love whatever that other people aren't but it's so second nature to you that we forget right and so I'm in this conversation and they were talking about you know um, I don't even remember something about God the calling they were wrestling with their calling and and I feel like there's this promise here, but I don't like, I, you know, nobody seems to see it. And, and I just keep saying, Lord, if it's not you, just take it away. And this has been like a three year journey and it's not going away. And so I just said, well, it's not going to go away because it's God. Right. I think we all would say, well, sure, because we've been talking about giftings for the last five months. This is something we're pretty, pretty comfortable with. And I said, here's what I think. the Lord, I said, for me, this is what God has done in my life with that. And I just shared about maybe a minute of what I feel like the Lord has done in my heart of stewarding those promises when they're secret, when nobody else sees them. Simple, really simple. Things you guys would be able to come up with on your own. And, uh, and, and they said, well, that's really interesting. And I was like, yeah, we moved on in the conversation. That was it. Okay, so I'm trying to show you this is so normal. A few, about a week later, I'm talking to this person again, and they said, I am completely, I will never be the same. And I'm like, why? You know, because I didn't think I said something earth shattering. And they said, when you put that thought in my head, I cannot get past that. And now I'm starting to see my whole life playing out in regards to like that aspect of God. And all of a sudden, I'm like just so much more at peace than I have been. We're talking a years-long journey. And I, I actually, my initial thought was, I felt really bad I hadn't said that sooner, you know, because it was just like such a normal thought to me. But in this, they don't live here. They don't have, like, this is not their context of church life. And, um, but it was so interesting because just sharing a thought Planting a seed of a thought, even when I was doing it unintentionally, how it revolutionized their thinking. So imagine, here in Oklahoma City, okay, we are filled with churches on every corner, but yet they're not filled. Clearly there's a disconnect between what we're communicating about who Jesus is and what's really living out in their life. Okay, I saw a Facebook post the other day. I won't get into it because there are, are graphic words involved, but um, there was a, a person who commented on the more group page and said, you know, that person just needs a good beating. I'll just sum it up in that. And I thought, wow, that was, oh my gosh, you know. So I clicked on their profile because we all do that, right? We want to know who they are. And on the description, it says lover of Jesus. And I almost had like throw up in my mouth. Like, wait, what? That is an enormous disconnect. Well, clearly that's not, that part of Jesus is not at work in this person's life in that way. But it made me sick to think, okay, 
We know this to be true, but in our city, there's people walking around saying, oh yeah, I'm a lover of Jesus or I'm a Christian because they have an awareness that God is real, but they don't have a tangible reality of his truth in their life, of his hope in their life, of what to do with when a tornado comes and it destroys everything. And how do you put that back together in your mind? These are things that we can offer because we know the word, because we know the Lord, because you're walking with the Holy Spirit. And in those moments when the Holy Spirit empowers you and he tells you just what to say, and we begin to shape this whole city with hope and truth and love. We can do that, right? That's a lot easier than saying we're all going to go. Yeah, some of you guys are looking at me like, no, we can't. But you can. Because it's a lot easier than going out and being like, hey, are you saved? Right. Salvation is not just about that one prayer. I think we know this, right? It's about surrendering your life to the Lord. I love when people talk about the process of sanctification. We are saved, and yet we're still being saved, right? We're still having that sanctification working out in our life. Where would you be without someone putting hope thoughts inside of you? Where would you be? And so think about where they are. So we don't motivate ourselves because we're trying to like put notches in our belt or anything crazy like that, but because we look at it that we're planting seeds. We're, we're giving out something that we've been giving, and I'm not even talking about big things. I'm not even talking about praying crazy healing or miracles or raising people from the dead. I'm talking about when you're standing next to somebody and you're making, okay, let me put it this way. All right, let's talk about what does it mean to be a witness? You're telling the truth, right? I'm trying to land this plane. Raise your hand if you saw a Black Panther. Wow. Okay. That's all right. Some of you need to see that movie. Okay. It's a great movie. It's got a great, great message. All right. So let me, let's put it this way. Raise your hand if you saw a movie in the last month that you liked. Let's put it that way. Okay. You saw a movie in the last month you liked. Great. That's more of us. All right. How many of you told somebody about that movie? Just, you know, just made a connection, right? Did you see Black Panther? That was incredible. Wakanda forever. Right? Did you? I mean, I loved it. That, that'll show you my feelings. Um, you know, or maybe you saw a movie that you didn't like, and who did you tell, right? We went to see a movie last night, I won't tell you which one, and Reese knows and he won't share. And we came home, and he was with our kids, and, and he said, what do you think? And Grant just goes, I did not like it at all, okay? And I was like, well, tell the truth, man. Wow, <laughs> right? And then there's, but we have, when we have, like, an experience, and it wrecks us somehow, we have an emotional response to it, we feel the need to tell somebody. And so we do that with food. Did you go to that new restaurant? Did you see that movie? Did you go to that playground over there? Did you, whatever it is. And then when it comes to like God giving you a revelation, it's like, mm. <laughs> right? We, there's something about it that's like, we don't know how to do that. But if we will start to think about what it means to be his witness is the same thing as telling somebody that, about a movie that you like, right? We don't make that weird. Like it would be, you could make a movie comment weird, but you don't. It's just a normal part of life. So if we can figure out in your own heart how to do that with witnessing, things will happen. Let me tell you another just example. I got my hair done with somebody different a few months ago. And for those of you that are women, you know that's something you don't normally do, right? It's an uncomfortable thing. But I had heard some great things about this woman and I wanted to go um, have her do my hair. And so we ended up chit-chatting and found out she was a believer. And I found out that she has just chronic pain in her body, like really bad, like really bad pain. And I thought to myself, this is a really terrifying moment because when I step out and pray for her, if she doesn't get healed, we're going to be here together for another like 45 minutes. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, just trying to strategize, like at what point should I bust out? You know, Jesus can heal you about that. She knew God can heal, but she'd never seen it happen. Okay. So in the midst of part of the hair appointment is, you know, you sit there for like 30 minutes. You normally sit there by yourself while they go take a break. And she, for some reason, 
pulls up a chair next to me and sits next to me. So we spent an hour together having discipleship conversations. What's going on in your life? What's going on in my life? I've never met this woman before. I've never seen her since. She did a good job, so it wasn't about that. But, you know, it was like in the context of the conversation, she starts talking about pain. And I said, you know what's crazy? I have a friend who had metal in her shoulder that disappeared at this conference. Can I tell you that story? That's a real story that I watched, right? So I'm not even having to borrow somebody else's. And I'm, she's like, that's incredible. And so we start talking about, well, have you heard of this guy? Man, he sees stuff like what you're going through have to heal all the time. You should look him up. You should look him up on YouTube, right? Very normal, natural. And, I, it's, and the reason why it's normal and natural is because it's not about me. Because it's not about what I can do. It's not about, you know, come to my church because we always see people healed. We do a lot, but not every time. You know, so we take that part out and we just go, here's what I'm doing. I'm planting a seed of hope in you. And by the end, she's like giving me a hug. She's like, let's stay friends. She's texting me a couple days later about her dog. And I'm like, wow, this was so interesting because I was just telling the truth. Right? I know I'm hammering on this, but here's the deal. In this Acts series, there's one more thing I want to share about this text, but I want to share this first. In this series of Acts, what I want us to do well is to start planting or sowing out what's been planted in you. So even if it's simple, even if it's like, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. You know, if you're a girl, it'd be weird if you were a man and you did this. So maybe, you know, buffer this statement. But if you're a girl, like, and you see a lady that's got a pretty hair or whatever, you know what? You look so beautiful today. You know, it's, it's simple. And that opens the door. It softens people's heart and opens the door to just be able to say, God really loves you. I'm not talking about... Are you going to heaven or hell, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about planting seeds of hope and truth and love in our community. If you're a man and you're out and about and you're, you know, at wherever you go, at the gas station, whatever, like just something, something simple. It doesn't have to be complex. So in this series, I want to challenge you guys at least once in the next five weeks, okay? My goal for you would be once a week, but at least once. Try it. Just try it. Just when you're out in the community, Holy Spirit, empower me to be your witness. And wait for him, watch for him, not wait, watch for him to give you an opportunity to sow something simple. We're not, again, I'm not, I, you know, this is a win. If you are not like ending that and the person's like weeping and, you know, it's a win that you did it, right? What the goal is up to God. We don't really, that's not what we're trying to track here. We're trying to track, are you stewarding out what you've been given? All right, anybody willing to take the challenge? Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take the challenge, and I'm slightly terrified of it as well, because some of it is I have to work through what's in my own mind about what I've conditioned myself to think that being a witness was, right? And the Lord is just radically reshaping that, and I'm, I'm willing to let him do it. So if he can do it in me, he can do it in you. All right, last thought. Um, this last section of this text is um, when Jesus is ascending into heaven. And right after he spoke these words, verse 9, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappeared into a cloud. I wanted to share this with you. Luke is making a point here to reference a cloud to what's happening here. And a lot of us have come up with a mental picture of like a cumulus or a nimbus, right? Like a white, fluffy sky cloud that Jesus like hopped on and then rode away into heaven. Anybody have that image in your mind? For some reason, some of us do. It's like it's just kind of what we've been conditioned to think, especially if you've ever... It's a flannel graph. That's right. I was just about to say, if you've ever done this type of a message in a kid's um, context, it's always Jesus on top of a cloud and you lift him up somehow, right? And so it just gets in your head that he wrote. But in, in the Old Testament, one of the names of God was the cloud rider. 
That was one of the names that he was known by. There's several different scriptures in the Old Testament where God is shown in visions riding on the clouds. Psalm 18 is one. And so what Luke is doing here is a couple things. But one is he's referencing that cloud rider name for another point of connection that Jesus really is God. Because in this moment in time, there was a lot of questions about, was he really God, right? He would, we know he was great, but was he really the Messiah? And Luke is saying, hey, if all of this else you don't believe, he's also the cloud rider. And when he ascended, he pretty much rode a cloud. But the more accurate translation of what's happening there is that a cloud came and shielded him from their view. Okay? So um, where's another time that we see the cloud, a cloud like that in the Bible? There's several. Um, the Israelites were led by one, and on Mount Horeb, Moses went, and a cloud came down, and the presence of God was there. And so what I think is happening in this text is that the cloud is actually like the Shekinah glory of God. It's like the, the, the physical, what we can see, representation of his manifest presence. Those are big words, okay? And so Jesus is standing there, and he's saying these incredible things. And I don't know, like he starts lifting into the air somehow, which is like crazy. And then this cloud comes, and then he's gone. So as I was um, just digging into some commentaries about this for um, prepping for today, I came across this twice in a one-hour setting. So I'm going to share this with you in case any of you have ever thought this. It has never been a thought in my mind, but if it's been in your mind, be at peace, okay? Both of these commentators were saying, um, did Jesus need an oxygen mask as he rode the cloud into heaven? (laughs) And the first time I heard it, I laughed and I thought, well, I've never thought about that. The second time I heard it, I thought, is this a thing? Like, is this a thing that, like, that people think that Jesus, like, as he was floating into heaven, there's, there's that atmospheric pressure change, you know, where you can't breathe as you go up higher. And so what did he, what did he do? And, and just in case anybody has felt like that or needs a good laugh for today, that's not what was happening. Okay, the realm between heaven and earth is actually a very thin veil of what we can see in our eyes. It's not like he has to ascend to like a certain um, like like stratospheric point, And then that's when heaven begins. Right. And so as he's lifting in his whatever is happening to his body, as he's lifting, the cloud begins to shield him from view. So I don't think he actually rose into outer space. So just in case anybody was really curious about that, I thought that was just the most... Even if he did, he doesn't, he's Jesus. He doesn't need an oxygen mask. But here's what I want to say about this. So, so uh, Luke makes a statement to say, and the, or the men that were standing there watching it, they said that he's going to come back in the same way that he left. There's going to be a cloud of his glory that comes on the earth, and Jesus will emerge out of the cloud when the end is come, right? So I was processing this with the Lord, and I had this thought. So I want to end this here, and I want to just submit this thought to you. This is my opinion, so don't take this as like, thus says the Lord, okay? But it was really interesting to me. Here's the thought, that Jesus was absorbed, okay? I might not use the best words, but I'm going to try it. That he was absorbed into this cloud of glory. Now, we also know from Scripture that then he ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, right? So that's his place. But he's not just there, right? We have stories of him coming and meeting Paul after that point. So he's sitting and then also still doing things, okay? So we have that understanding that Jesus is complex. So he's absorbed into this cloud. And the Lord began to to talk to me about what happens when the cloud of his presence comes in our midst. Is that a place where Jesus is there as well? Like, was he absorbed into the cloud and then moved on? Or is he still a part of the cloud of his presence? 
okay? Now, I know this is getting kind of abstract for some of you, and that's okay. But here's what I thought was so interesting. Then the Lord began to show me how in Jesus' ministry, when he's healing and doing miracles and doing the stuff we all want to see happen today, right? There's a, a hunger burning in us of like, that's not supposed to be for then. It's supposed to be for today as well. And how do we get that? And what do we do? And can I fast anymore? And what do I give? And just, you know, there's this hunger for that. And the Lord began to show me, so there's two things happening in every one of those miracles. Number one is faith, right? And gifting, but really it's faith because the faith pulls the gifting out of people. And there's Jesus. In those moments where people were being, where everybody was healed, Jesus was there and there was faith. And so the Lord began to connect it to me of when we are stepping into that realm of his presence, whether we can see the cloud or not, it comes, right? That when that cloud comes and Jesus himself comes in that cloud because he's been absorbed, okay? And then the possibilities exponentially explode, right? Because now it's not just me and my giftings with the Holy Spirit, which is enough to see miracles. But now it's the combo of the Holy Spirit and Jesus together wrecking the earth, which is what's happening in the book of Acts. You tracking with me? So I say that, I want to end with that because I want us to just begin to, not necessarily in this moment, but as you're processing and reading this, I want us to begin to start looking for Jesus and the Holy Spirit's ministry together which is coming off of what is God the Father's heart. That's how they work together, right? The Father has an idea, a thought. He creates something. Jesus and Holy Spirit execute that. Of course, they can create and all of that as well. This isn't a limiting statement by any means, which is a, a categorical one. And together, they, their will is accomplished on earth as it is in heaven, right? On earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> and, and in that place, then Jesus steps on the scene. And then what happens then is we become so small. Right? Our participation in this thing becomes like minute. Jesus is looking for someone who will yield their, themselves, their mind, their body, their will, so that he can do these things. But that's essentially where our participation stops. And I want you to see it like that because I know one of the lies that the enemy hammers us with, especially in this part of Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a destiny of a state of encounter that people encounter the presence of God here. That's part of our destiny as a state, okay? And so what the enemy tries to do, robbing from that, is making us think that we have to become something so great for that to happen. Or that we have to fix ourselves so much. Or that, and I'm not saying we don't go on the process of sanctification, but track with me here. The heart of what I'm saying. That we have to, that we, we buy into this idea that when my limitation is solved, when my circumstance changes, when blah, 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 blah. At that point, then the kingdom will come. Right? But that's the enemy. Because what God is saying is, I actually really don't need you to do this thing. I just want you to have your like minute place. And then in the midst of whatever you have going on in your life problems of this or that or whatever. I don't really care because I'm just so big that I step into the scene by empowering you to do the thing that I wanted to do for me to get the glory. Thanks for just saying yes. Are you guys tracking with me? So in this series, in this Book of Acts series, the goal that we're going for is for you to say yes. What does that look like? It doesn't have to look like being super bold if that's not your personality. If you're introverted, there's a yes for you too. If you're extroverted, there's yes, right? There's no limitation that keeps us back. What we're going for is just saying, Jesus, when you and the Holy Spirit get together, nothing can be stopped. They already are together, but you know what I mean, right? And I'd say, Lord, you can do it in my life, regardless of what I'm still trying to work out and figure out, and then the kingdom comes. So I'm going to pray for you guys as we end. Be looking for those moments 
to be a witness, okay? And then we're going to come up with some kind of clever hashtag or something, but in our Facebook group, or you can email me or send me a text or whatever, send me a text, I want to hear your stories, because let's just, let's just share it, right? Let's talk about it so that we're not staying introspective, right? We're going to high-five and attaboy each other in this process of letting God use us, because we're all in need of a little ushering, right? A little back padding. Okay, so let me pray. Lord, we just love you so much. God, first I just thank you that you hold the end times all in your hand, and there's no reason to fear. So anybody that's here this morning that struggles or has a fear or just a foreboding sense of what that's going to be, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to them clearly. There's no need to be afraid of what's to come because you are planning amazing and great things for each one of us here on the earth. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, we ask you in this book of Acts series that you would blow us away. Lord, we come with expectation to see incredible things happen. Lord, I'm asking that um, in each and every one of us, our desire and our passion for you would just continue to burn, would continue to be fueled. In Jesus' name, amen.